Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. I'm a designer, principal, and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, I catch up with Ben Waite, a design engineer at Zip Speed Weaponry. So Ben is one of the few industrial designers that we've had on the show. So I hope you enjoy our conversation about the ins and outs of prototyping and how to bring a product to market. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ben Waite. Okay, guys, today I'm excited to welcome design engineer at Zip Speed Weaponry, Ben Waite. Ben, thank you so much for being on Obsessed with Design. Thanks, Josh. We are really excited about being on Obsessed with Design, and we look forward to giving your listeners a quick glance into what Zip does and how we hope to drive passion in the cycling industry. Very cool. I mean, we've talked to lots of designers on the show, branding and graphic design, illustration focused folks, but we haven't talked to too many uh, industrial designers, which is why we wanted to reach out to, to you guys at Zip. I know you have a presence here in Indianapolis. So for our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the cycling world, I'll let you fill us in a little bit on what Zip Speed Weaponry is all about. So even though the name might sound a little bit scary, uh, Zip Speed Weaponry, a lot of times we just go by Zip right now, it's basically started back in the late 80s with some inspiration from IndyCar. I think like a lot of technological companies in Indianapolis come from. In about 2008, we were acquired by SRAM, a very large bicycle company. And basically, Zip's primary product is super high-end aerodynamic carbon bicycle wheels. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took a lot of carbon technology they were using in IndyCar, um, applied it to bicycle wheels, so then we were able to make a really light aero wheel. And, and kind of our goal here and SRAM's mission statement is that we create and manufacture components that inspire cyclists. So we've gone beyond you know just the carbon bicycle wheel to a whole myriad of products but the end goal of every product is to inspire cyclists and then get them out on the road riding bicycles. Cool. So you guys have, um, I mean, I could kind of know you for those really thick, um, performance. Uh, if it was on a car, I'd call it a rim, but the, the, the really thick carbon fiber rims, but you guys have a variety of sizes and a whole suite of products, right? Right. I mean, basically if you look at a bicycle with zip and SRAM, we make everything pretty much except for the bicycle frame and saddles. We make handlebars, we make stems, we make seat posts, we make um, the shifting system. So but everything on a bike, uh, we have our hands on. I'd like to learn a little bit about your origin story as a designer, how you got into the world of industrial design and started doing this professionally. Well, I, I think uh, I kind of grew up in the country, and I think like a lot of boys – like you kind of subconsciously go through a design process, just playing and trying to find a ways to entertain yourself during the day. And I think, you know, even from an engineering standpoint, it's like whether you're you know, figuring out how to tether a wagon behind a bicycle or, you know, doing something your parents wouldn't approve of, like setting up a zip line, 
you know, from tree to tree, there's something pretty inherent about finding solutions. And I think that is kind of carried over into adulthood and then, you know, well, it's college and then adulthood and your profession of really being interested in finding solutions to problems. And from a quick look on your LinkedIn profile, I think that, you know, growing up doing boy things, it appears you came through the the design world through the engineering path. Um, talk to us a little bit about kind of your, your engineering background. So I grew up around Terre Haute and luckily Terre Haute has one of the um, best undergraduate engineering schools there in Rose Hallman. And I had my, my grandfather worked there for many years and my father worked there. And my sister was in the very first class of girls to go through Rose Hallman, which oh, nice. wasn't that long, wasn't that long ago. It was 1995. So it was just kind of natural that I went to Rose. So I went there and I really remember my first class when we worked through a real life scenario and it was solving a kinematics problem. And for the first time I thought, this is pretty neat how all the cumbersome math and physics classes that, you know, they've been pounding into you for years made real life sense. So from that point on, I loved everything about the design classes at Rose and everything just sort of took off from there. And so from stalking LinkedIn a little bit, I uh, see that you've also been at uh, Beckman Coulter and did a little stint with a robotics company. So how did those experiences lead you to Zip? Well, I, I think kind of the theme of my professional career has been working on things that really interest me, which I think for a lot of people, they don't aren't that lucky. So my first job out of school was Beckman Coulter, and it was a larger company, and we did um, basically automation of, uh, medical devices. So there's a lot of just really good basic engineering principles that were taught there and design principles. Then I got a chance to go to a, a startup company that did robotics, but specifically we were working on a robot, robotic golf greens mower. And, uh, I played golf in high school and played golf in college. So I was very into the, into playing golf. So it was pretty a wild combination of something you're passionate about and your professional career, how robotics could match up with golf, but it actually did. Mm -hmm. So, so working, I almost feel like everybody at some point needs to work in a startup company because it is such an interesting experience of you have 12 people trying to fill the roles of 40 people with limited budgets and your constraints are so tight that, for a designer, it makes you forces you to think outside the box to come up with solutions that could be viable. And then um, just being in Indianapolis, I always knew Zip was around, and I was a pretty avid triathlete, and always kept my eye. And a position here opened up as a as a designer, and so in 2010, I came to Zip, and I've been here ever since. Nice. So kind of related to the played golf, and then worked on the uh, the golf green cutting mowers and as a triathlete brought you to zip. Um, so I would assume that being a triathlete yourself and, you know, being intimately involved with these, uh, cycle setups informs a lot of your design decisions for what you would do for, uh, other zip riders. So talk us through kind of how that mentality impacts your work. Well, I think this is really important and almost can't be understated, but all the designers here and engineers and manufacturers, I mean, 
everybody that works here are consumers of the product that we work on. And I, I think I mean, many times we've had the example of you, you have the most beautiful 3D CAD model that you could ever make with beautiful renderings. But until you can get a prototype made and have it on your hand or put on a bicycle, you really can't realize the advantages or shortcomings of that product. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the key gates of any of our projects here at Zip involves pretty intensive field testing. I mean, sometimes it is a little bit hard to convince your friends that you go out on a two-hour lunch ride on a 75-degree day on a Wednesday that you're really working. <laughs> but it is the truth. I mean, a product's performance in the field really has to match what we see in simulations or in the lab. And that's very important for you know everyone that works here. And I mean, you don't have to be a cyclist or a triathlete, but... Um, you need to have that passion for seeing a product uh, make it all the way to a customer's hands and they're very satisfied with it. Well, you mentioned the designers and engineers there. Tell us a little bit about what the team makeup looks like uh, within your team. You know, we're probably on a team of eight to 10. Um, We all, I'd say most all have an engineering background, Um, mainly mechanical engineers, some chemical engineers, a lot of what we work with um, with carbon fiber is a little bit chemical related, but it's pretty interesting how our manufacturing for carbon fiber products is in-house. It's in the wall across from where I'm sitting right now on my computer where I design products, which is very different from many other companies, especially in the bicycle industry. A lot of their carbon fiber products are made overseas. So being able to design something up in 3D CAD and within a day or two have a functional carbon fiber piece in your hand is very important. And so of our eight to 10 designers, we probably have the same amount of manufacturing engineers that work hand in hand with us every day, helping us to realize um, what we had just thought out and uh, drawn up in our 3D software. Well, in our world of branding and graphic design, I always tell our guys how important it is to, to hit print every now and then, and, you know, hold it out on paper and see it in front of you in a different way than it looks on screen. And I can, I can just imagine how important that is to be able to get that carbon fiber, you know, prototype in your hands right away to, to make, you know, to see how it's actually working and and see how, how it looks in person. Exactly. And I think one of the biggest technology advances in the industry that really makes us spoiled is the ability to 3d print stuff. And we literally design stuff and hit print all the time. (laughs) And believe it, I mean, you know, in two hours you have a plastic part in your hand that matches what you had on your screen and just for ergonomics and fitment and everything that, that spoils us way too much. I don't think we realize how lucky we are to have that kind of technology right now. And it's still evolving like crazy. So I'd assume six years ago, you guys didn't have that at your fingertips. What, what kind of things would you do in 2010 that are different now in 2016? There were some of the worst looking prototype hacked together things that they ever imagined. We, we had <laughs> tubs and tubs of epoxy and parts that we just stick together and try to make it look right. And it, we, we would never show anybody on a tour some of the things that we created. 
So maybe talk us through what a typical day looks like for you, you know, as design engineer, are you, you know, do you have lots of administrative rules? Are you in lots of meetings? Are you mostly heads down designing or as you said, out on the track going for a ride? What's, what's a normal day or week look like for you? I think as I would call SRAM and Zip a, a medium sized company. Um, so we have definitely very hard in processes, but we still have so much freedom as designers. For like a, a typical day, you're probably at your computer a couple hours working on models or drawings and it, definitely a couple hours out on the floor, you know, watching your product being formed or molded or, or have the graphics put on it, whatever it may be. Um, we do work very closely with our professional athletes and our amateur athletes on getting feedback and getting test samples out with them. So there's a lot of um, coordination of testing products. Travel is another big one. I mean, we, we do travel a decent amount to certain trade shows and athletic events around the world. So it, it is a really good mixture. I, I think if like, like a lot of um, designers, if you can't sit at your desk for eight hours a day, it's a great place to be because there's always something to get up and go check on or go to work on. Cool. So I'd imagine with a uh, zip and SRAM that you guys are probably pretty frequent guests or attendees at these shows. What, what are those like? Yeah. So, so, I mean, for the bicycle industry, there's two really big shows. They're all in the fall. There's some really big athletic events in the fall. So a lot of our product launches are aimed towards the fall. So, so right now it's really the time of the year we have the pedal to the metal and we're trying to get pretty much products wrapped up and, tested and finalized so we can hit production and launch them for the fall trade shows. We do attend conferences related to technologies we're working on, um, you know, whether it's carbon fiber related or, you know, new CAD software, new simulation software, we'll spend time going to those. And then I think one of the big perks of our job is we get to attend a lot of the um, athletic events where our athletes, once again, both professional and amateur, racing our equipment so this means you know all the big bike races you see on tv all the big triathlon events you see on tv we um, are pretty much guaranteed to have some not only just marketing folks there but also technical and design uh, focused people there to see number one how athletes are using our products and you know kind of see if they're satisfied or not but then also to really see what other products are using. And then one of the really interesting things, especially with the triathletes is they do a lot of work on coming up with solutions on their own. So we'll see a lot of the hodgepodge solutions where we'll really sit that back and think, do we need to figure out a better way to help this person get to their um, goal, but without zip ties and duct tape. So <laughs> there's, there's some pretty cool travel and, it definitely makes it worthwhile to see the products that you work on, you know, day in and day out for six months out in the field and helping somebody go a little bit faster on their bike. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, I'd love to hear about some of the super secret projects you guys are up to right now, but I realize you'd have to kill me if you told me about those. So instead, maybe tell me about, uh, one or more recent projects or things that you guys have brought to market that you're excited about. So I've worked on a little bit of everything here. I've worked on some of our um, carbon handlebars and some of our carbon seat posts and stems. And 
obviously wheels, which Zip is really known for. But I think one of the cool projects is, you know, I kind of mentioned zip ties and duct tape is a joke, but not really a joke because like you can see that a lot on bicycles. So, you know, I, I attended a race and actually worked with one of our professional athletes on coming up just with a pretty simple, you know, aluminum solution to on a triathlon bike, your listeners probably don't know, but a lot of times you're in a position where your arms are out in front of you and they're parallel and people found in the wind tunnel that if you jammed a water bottle between your arms, it basically created flow over that. Um, so it was a lot more aerodynamic. So we came up with a solution to be able to mount a water bottle there pretty quickly. Mm. It's like one of those projects that's just like quick and dirty and it's a super simple from a tech standpoint, but it's, it solved an issue that was out there that there wasn't a company producing a product to do that. So I think another neat thing about Zip and SRAM is they really encourage you to work on, you know, little side projects that are outside the box that you may never, ever see on the shelves of a bike store, but just to keep kind of fostering that creative mentality that, you know, in a way it's, it's what you've been doing since you were a little kid. <laughs> well, you were telling me too about, um, your foray into software. So tell us a little bit about, about that project. So one of the, the key, um, I guess metrics of our handlebar design, especially with triathlon handlebars is to make it super adjustable. So everybody's different. All bike sizes are different. And every you get on a bike, you want to be able to be comfortable. So you need to be able to adjust where your arms sit or where your hands go, like in pretty big ranges. And we were able to accomplish that goal. However, I think one of the things we realized from our customers is that with all that adjustment, it like added this layer of confusion that nobody really knew how to adjust them properly or how to get to a certain position. So we actually initially started with these just humongous spreadsheets of, you know, looking down one column and matching up with run one row to get to what your adjustment will be. I know we ended up putting out a number, but it was something like 1200 adjustment options. And so someone here had an idea like this is perfect for an app. And obviously nobody at zip had the ability to create an app. So we actually worked with a business incubator called Rose home adventures, which is uh, in Terre Haute and it basically employs Rose home and students as interns throughout the year and has some full-time staff as product managers to, to work on the app with us. Interestingly, I worked at Rose Holland Ventures for three of my four years at Rose, and it's it's such a cool way for students to work on real-life projects, you know, oh, cool. five or ten hours a week. So we worked with them, and we came up with um, a Fit app that we launched a couple, about a year ago, and we're still working with them to continuously update it and work on it, but it's it's pretty interesting to see that there's nothing like that in the industry whenever we did it. And now we're starting to see some people come up with their own little clunky version, but it's still pretty satisfying to see our pretty sleek um, iOS and Android app out there running. And it's getting quite a bit of use. That's something we're quite proud of. So when you talk about fit app, I, I assume this is like how to, how to customize your bike or your fit for your body. Exactly. So 
So talk through some of the things that this would help somebody to optimize for. So one of the, the key things is, on a, just an example, on a triathlon bike where you set your arms, you don't want them too far stretched out and you don't want them too far close to your body. You kind of want to be able to open up your chest and breathe, but not stretched out so far. You're really engaging your core and wasting muscles that aren't going towards putting power to the pedals. So it, it will help you dial in how far out to put your um, to put your arms. And the specific part it tells you is how to set up our handlebars to achieve that position. So this is a little bit of my my ignorance as far as the the different parts of the product. But so is this all one handlebar that you just make infinite adjustments to get it right? Or are there different types of handlebars you would buy for better fit? Well, there, there are different types of handlebars, but this is basically assuming you have the one handlebar and you're trying to put together all these Lego pieces to get the right adjustment. Ah, got it. Shifting gears a little bit here, you know, kind of the theme of the show here is obsession. So many of the designers that we talk to are, are obsessed by what they do day in and day out. I'm just curious um, what things you're most obsessed with right now. I think that transitioned better than what we expected, but right now I, I would think it's probably bike fit just from the standpoint. I, I did work on a lot of handlebars and stems, which is what attaches the handlebar to the bicycle um, and stems have various links. So I think to be able to design products properly, you have to really understand their in purpose. So, you know, when I first started, I went through some bike fitting courses and it really kind of evolved into um, the point person when it comes to bike fit here at Zip. Mm -hmm. And even in my undergrad at Rose, I took a lot of biomedical engineering classes and got a minor in biomed. So, you know, that, that whole body kinematics and everything definitely comes into play. So I do like how that I can integrate all that with making a bicycle handlebar, which seems like you're, you're really doesn't make a lot of sense, but it really does. And I would say on a even daily basis, we're talking about something bike fit related and how um, it will help a person on the road. Cause the best example I use is, we can make the most aerodynamic, fastest, coolest looking carbon fiber wheels that sound like a jet taking off. But if you're, <laughs> but if you're riding them and you aren't comfortable on your bike, that person is not going to be happy. And that's why kind of our goal is to inspire passion in cyclists. It's not, yeah, it's to make them fast and making fast makes people excited, but it also goes hand in hand with making them comfortable on the bicycle. What do you feel like is the the biggest challenge or the maybe the secret to optimizing for bike fit and excitement uh, in the industrial design space? I think that from a challenge standpoint, I think a lot of times, I mean, with with all design, is you almost feel like there's some kind of trade off with function, where the, even the most perfectly functional product with jagged edges and being strange looking the consumer won't touch it mm -hmm. so you always have to have this trade-off of i want something that looks different enough where if it's sitting on a shelf somebody will grab it and engage their interest but also beyond that once their interest is engaged and if they purchase it they need to be able to put it on their bicycle and realize that it is better so the challenge is always working with that trade-off and 
I mean, we, we definitely talk about this in design meetings almost on a weekly basis. We create trade-off curves for, you know, a function versus an ID spec or something. So it is a constant challenge, but I think it's a challenge that is very interesting and engaging. Tell us about one of your proudest moments as a designer. I think probably with all designers, the proudest moment is the first product that the project that I worked on from kind of concept to getting the first real production prototype in your hand. I mean, it, it's almost, you know, similar to having a, a child where like you build up nine months of anticipation, you know, waiting for the child to come out. And there it is like, I mean, it's obviously on a very different scale, but in a way it's kind of the same thing where you'd work so much on something and gone through so many ugly prototypes and things that were nasty and, you know, it, we work on pretty fast schedules. So there's a lot of times where if you aren't to a certain point in a project by X date, it's like we got to cancel and move on. So, I mean, just the stress of a project, but then realizing, hey, this is going to be a real product and it's going to get out, you know, in the public. And then you start to see reviews and bicycling magazine come out of positive reviews. And so I think just that very first project that you, you know, in a way birthed into production. It's probably my proudest moment. Do you feel like there are any um, dream projects that you'd like to do or things that you'd like to tackle next? Without like a lot of specifics, there's a very neat culture here at Zip where I mean, there's time allotted to work on you know, the wacky ideas. We actually have a little room here. It's called The Nest. And it's the one that if you ever get a tour of our building, nobody can ever go in. And that's kind of our our advanced development room where you go on, you go in there and you work on projects that kind of make no sense or we don't have a customer or we don't know if the technology will work for it. You can go there and just try stuff out. And that's, um, it's allowed. I, I would say it's even encouraged to mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, honestly, I've, I worked in, on probably three or four projects in there that they're never going to see the light of day. And I know that, but, <laughs> but still just going in there and, and especially it allows us to do a lot more hands-on where as designers, a lot of times we hand things off to the manufacturing engineers or the production people where we go in there and we do everything ourselves. So I'm not sure what the dream project's going to be, but I'm pretty sure it might come out of there. But so, so we'll have to find out here in the future. Very cool. Well, if I manage to get a tour over there, I'll, maybe I can sneak in and take a peek <laughs> yeah. in the nest. It, it, it's actually pretty interesting because, I mean, even our marketing and sales folks, they aren't allowed in there. Like they, it, it, I think somebody got a tour, an athlete or somebody got a tour and went in there. And I heard one of the marketing guys complaining the other day. He's like, I've never been in there and you let him in there. It's like, that's not fair. <laughs> well, it's probably, it's probably a little more tight-lipped. <laughs> Well, I think one other common thread that we've heard from a lot of the people we've talked to is that, you know, as a designer, you're, you're typically either blessed or ruined by your training. And sometimes there are just things that we see out in the world that, that drive us crazy. I'm curious in the, in the cycling community, or maybe just the industrial design world as a whole, if there are any of those, uh, pet peeves or things that, that bug you out there. Definitely. And the problem is, is, it's a daily occurrence because we see so many people cycling. But I think anytime we see 
one of our products that we, you know, once again, like spent so much time and so much intensive work on like being used outside their intended purpose that drives it bonkers. <laughs> like we make bicycle tires. So I mean, we, we make them there. They should be put on the wheel in one direction. That's for, you know, aerodynamics. It's for handling. It's for, you know, increasing or, or sorry, decreasing rolling resistance. You walk up to a bicycle and you see the tire put on backwards. It, it really gets <laughs> under your skin and it, we have to really pour ourselves back and being careful not to make snarky comments at people. because we don't want to seem prudish, but it's like, Man, there's big arrows on that tire for a reason. <laughs> so I would say that that's definitely a uh, where you're very ruined looking at the world around you and seeing the people that are riding your product that they aren't riding them correctly. It's like those bizarro videos on uh, YouTube or whatnot of people using gym equipment in strange ways. Exactly. That stuff exactly. cracks me up for some reason, but yes. <laughs> You know, let's say you're working on one of these projects that gets canceled or something that you are really excited about just doesn't make it through. How do you, how do you shake off a moment like that? Or how do you kind of get your head back in the right place? Um, I, it, it feels cliche, but I think the, the honest answer is like, you always have to try to just learn something from a failed project or, or product that doesn't make it. I mean, we, we quote a lot of people, but the, the one quote that we'll use some is that you know, Thomas Edison said something like, I didn't fail. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. And, <laughs> I mean, and it feels sometimes like we're approaching that 10,000 on some projects, but um, yeah, it's, it's so important. Just try to learn something from a, a failed project or product. So where do you find inspiration for your next thing? I think kind of like most designers and engineers, you're really driven by the thought of recognizing problems and then designing solutions before like the customer or the market even realizes there is a problem. Mm -hmm. Who are your design heroes? Interesting question. Um, not to get into more quotes, but I can't tell you how many times we've used the quote the Henry Ford one of if you would, if I would have asked people what they wanted, we would be making faster horses. And I <laughs> think that we kind of live by that philosophy of, yeah, we definitely listen to our customers and see what, you know, products they think they want. But the hard part is giving them products they don't know that they want yet. And that lines just right up with, you know, what Henry Ford did with, with the revolution. So totally uh, random, but when you mentioned the Henry Henry Ford quote, I'm thinking of you know velocipedes, and um, <laughs> we've one of our previous guests uh, is uh, in Spain, and he designed this this whole project called Velocipedia, and it was the series of him trying to get people to draw what a bicycle looks like from memory, and it was amazing how you know, they attach the chain to the wrong wheel or they wouldn't have the, the frame of the bike. So it would support a body. I'll have to send you a link to that interview, but it's, it was a really, really fun project. You know, I've actually seen images from that and it is super interesting because we even talked about it here. It's like, it, it is a little bit hard. Like if you just start drawing, you really have to think out to, to visualize how <laughs> everything works together and make it functional. Yeah, he was on a month or two ago, so you'll have to 
have to check out that episode. That's awesome. So if you weren't designing for the cycling world, what do you think you'd be doing? You know what? I, I'm really not sure, but I think what it's at least in my mind, I hope whatever it would be, be something that I'm passionate about. Like I said earlier, I've been lucky enough to work on, um, products that, that interest me. So, um, I, I'm, I'm hoping whatever design projects next or uh, whatever it may be, it's something that I am passionate about and something that drives you every day. And actually you do look forward to going to work. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've either received or something that you um, share regularly with, with young designers? Um, I guess a couple of different things. The one is kind of similar to what I, I just talked about, but like try to find something you're passionate about and turn it into your profession. It'll, it'll keep you from being that the old curmudgeon engineer sitting in the corner that isn't very happy and, you know, doesn't want to talk about people about the, the race that was just this weekend. Um, and that's, what's really nice about zip is it, it's a complete culture of, you know, cycling and outdoor activity and endurance sport. It's not just people that are, coming here to collect their paycheck. Um, so, so I think that's, that's the most important thing is just turn your passion into your profession. Very good advice. Well, I've, I've heard so many good things about, um, zip over the years, just being here in Indianapolis. And I would say you guys are even, um, do a pretty solid job of staying off the radar for the most part. But I, I think, um, people in the cycling community know and love, that product. And, and I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us today. So before we go, tell our listeners where they could connect with you or to go to learn more about zip. Yeah, it's pretty easy. And I mean, you can find a lot of things nowadays, uh, just go to zip.com or obviously on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And like I said, we're a pretty small company here and we work a lot with even all of our PR team. So it, it there are specific questions for engineers or um, designers or anybody like, just hit us up on any of those outlets and um, we will get back with you really soon. Cause we, we really do appreciate everyone that supports zip from buying our products and hopefully we'll continue to find um, solutions that will help you become more passionate about cycling. Well, Ben, thank you very much for your time today and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that's episode number 24 in the books. For all of our show notes, be sure to hit up obsessedshow.com and please subscribe to the show on iTunes. We'd love to get a rating and a review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located on the 13th floor of beautiful Circle Tower in downtown Indianapolis. Hit up our Instagram account at Miles Herndon. We've got some great interviews coming up over the next few weeks, and we would love to have your recommendations for who we should interview next. Tweet at us at Obsessed Show or at Josh Miles and let us know who you'd like to hear from next. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.